Welcome to CTO Think, a pragmatic podcast about leadership, product development, and technology decisions between two recovering chief technology officers. I'm Don Vandemark. And I'm Randy Burgess. Don, what you been up to? Being the beginning of the year, uh, we've got a lot of schools kicking off their terms. So for Aspire EDU, we're out there. Um, this is when we'll see a lot of a lot of new API hits coming in because schools are adding students all over the place. So um, good test for for our scalability. Good test for um, how how much we can absorb. Um, but it, going pretty well so far uh, this week. Um, and and of course for for construction specialties, we've just gotten past the holidays, so we've got people coming back to doing work. So pretty busy week. What about you? Uh, well, we're going to jump into the topic really quick because that took a part of my week. Um, in terms of my two clients, you know, you're getting back into the beginning of the year. And so we spent a lot of time working with them on scope and projects and priorities, and that has changed some. And then a lot of my week was learning how to submit podcasts to Apple and Stitcher and Google Play and all those good, all those good things, which we got approved really quick. I was shocked um, based on what I've read online about weeks of waiting. We were 12 hours and boom, we're good to go. So that was nice. But I think the ripped from the headlines topic of today came in the form of vulnerabilities, bugs. Um, There's a lot of different opinions on what they represent. But part of my week was like what I'm going to ask you um, right now, talking about the uh, Meltdown and Spectre vulnerabilities that just came out in the press. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time doing what I've always done as a CTO, but... In your experience, when a vulnerability like this hits the press, what is a CTO? What is a technical manager? What is the? What are they supposed to do in that scenario? What do you do? What What did you do this week, if anything? Sure. So, that this is this having to react to things like this is not new. Um, I, I can remember back to Heartbleed and and others and Anna Kornikova. <laughs> yep. If you, remember <laughs> course, that, there was, if you want to go way back, I was looking up the history. Uh, you've got, there was a, the love letter from yeah. like 2000. So we, and, and of course the past, uh, past 12, 18 months of the ransomware yep. that's been out there as well. Um, this is another, just another vulnerability and I'm not trying to downplay the importance of it at all because based on my reading, it's, uh, it's going to be with us for a little while. Yep. So what um what 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 I do when one of these pops up is first don't panic. Um, try and learn as much as you can about the vulnerability. Try and take the information that that you're learning. Um, reach out to to various people you know, and that's that's going to be my number one point of the whole thing is try not to almost try to never be the smartest person you know is the way I'll put it. Um, if you're the smartest person you know, then 
every problem comes to you and you have to solve everything on your own. If yes. you know other smart people, then you, you can go out there and you can get other opinions. You can get help. Um, unless your um, specialty is in security, which there, there are plenty of people out there who, whose specialty is security. But unless you're especially security, you're probably not going to be fully armed with everything you need to, to combat something like this. So yeah. go out there, go learn. Um, so you have a couple of responsibilities. One, it, the, the top priority, obviously, is identifying the vulnerability and how it impacts your business. So okay? let me freeze you right there. Where are you going if you're in this role of, of doing the research? Because research is number one on my list as well. What Where are you going to find these answers? Because... There's a lot of information. I mean, these two vulnerabilities had logos within hours, and they're not bad logos. <laughs> they're actually kind of cute. I'll bu I would buy a bobblehead of both of these. <laughs> but uh, my question is, where where are you going to find this information you're talking about? All right. So so you've this is part of again part of that. Um, don't be the smartest person you know, right? So. Um, within your network of people, within the network of people you follow on, on social media, um, within the network of um, resources you have, be it tech journals, um, newspapers, uh, technical papers, things like that, have an idea of where you can look when, when you have things like this. So um, I, I follow a couple people on social media who are big in the security world um as far as their knowledge um can we, one can name we that drop those in comes, the show notes yeah we will drop those in the show notes one immediately comes to mind is uh is troy hunt um mm -hmm. who does a lot of a lot of security work um and we'll drop a lot of those names in in the um show notes as we go but i didn't even necessarily start there because mm -hmm. when i started there the first thing I saw from him was I've been on vacation a week. <laughs> What's everybody's resource for meltdown inspector. Yeah. So then I started to look at what people were referring him to. So got a, got a lot of information on it. Um, being, being an education company, we have, um, we have personal ident identifiable data yeah. that, um, that it, Schools are very, very concerned that we keep um, hidden away, that we keep private, that no one else can get access to. So that is that's one of the things that I would say is is high on the list of things I I deal with, which is requests from schools, requests from probable clients yeah. um, to fill out security um, questionnaires based on how do you. In is your data encrypted at rest? What is your uh, protocol for breaches? N some of these questionnaires are very, very extensive. Um, so let me and this let is, me jump in real quick because I sure, I think going along what you're talking about, there is definitely there's good places to get information and bad places. And so I first learned about the vulnerabilities through the mainstream media, CNN, um, MSNBC, Chicago Tribune, because I'm based out of Chicago. And to me, those are the absolute worst places to start. 
because right. because the reporters are not trained in technology. They may be working with someone, but they're trying to translate that information for the you know their common reader, the non technical reader, and they leave out a lot of details. So as soon as you hear about it, use those folks as the canary, but don't expect that you'll you're going to read a lot of substance in the in their content. The other thing. The next step to watch out for are official websites related to the viruses. If there's anything that I know hackers are great at, it's human behavior. And they know that people are going to start hitting Google, typing in the names of the vulnerable, like the, the fancy name, the I love you, the wanna cry, whatever. And now in this case, we have two new logo meltdown specter thing names. People are gonna start going and looking there and you can't trust that Google's going to know what sites are legit and which sites aren't. So if you hit one of those sites, you could very well download a vulnerability that exploits it because that site may be from a hacker looking to bait people into reading about it. So there is an official site, but I got that site name, which I'll put in the show notes, through sources I trusted to then go and do some more research. The other thing that I tend to do is I know all of the companies that my clients are utilizing for outsourcing of different services. Our hosting is done through Heroku for a large part and Amazon Web Services. So immediately I wanna look and see what those companies are saying about this vulnerability, what they're doing and what the risk they see it posing. Some of it you have to take with a grain of salt because they don't want to freak out their customers or expose themselves to liability and lawsuits. But at least they can, if they have instructions on how to protect yourself or steps they're taking, you can definitely find out a solution there. The other thing that I looked at was Apple because a lot of my clients are using um, MacBook Pros and stuff like that and iPhones and all that good stuff. And then the other, I guess, Intel, of course, who's making the chips that seem to have this problem. And Ars Technica is probably the one main media technical source that I go to to read technical information that I feel has a high level of quality. So I think that, yes, you want to do the research and discern what's important and not. But I think that your choice of sources is a really big deal. Um, at this stage of the process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for all the reasons you say, you have to make sure that, that the knowledge is good. Now, th- there is the aspect of some of, some of the information you're going to get is going to be too technical. Yep. Um, and, and, and I, I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit sometimes some of those things are way too technical, way too down in the details of exactly what is happening when sometimes you don't necessarily need to know exactly how it was written, what it's targeting, um, how it, how it, how it's a danger. You need to, to bring it up just a small bit to how does it affect me? How do I protect myself against it? That sort of thing. So So that that leads me to the, that leads me real quick. I'll go here and I may be taking us off path, but that leads me to a second responsibility and that is not only do you have the responsibility to protect yourself you have the responsibility within your organization to be 
able to explain it in a non-technical way. That's where I was going. <laughs> yes, totally agree. So, see, we see. <laughs> I'm reading your mind. I, I, I've installed meltdown in your brain, and I'm reading. I'm reading your mind. Yeah, and I was so, thinking about it a minute ago, and then I threw that information away, which is why you were able to read it. That's exactly how this. Exactly. <laughs> so continue. <laughs> so so you you have you have to be able to. Um, Go generalize it, bring bring it to a more business level. Um, take a lot a lot of the technical um, description out of it. Yeah. Know the technical description so that you're knowledgeable. But depending on who you're talking to within your organization, you're going to have varying levels of technical knowledge. If you have a way to describe it that is almost purely non-technical that gets you to the far end of the spectrum for those who, 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 if you start talking in technical jargon, jargon, you're just going to lose them. Yep. And, and when you're talking about something as serious as this, you don't need to lose them. You need to, you need to be able to present the information in a, in a distilled fashion. Also, when people don't know what's going on, they get fearful. And if you explain it in Good. terms they don't understand, right. you're not helping that fear factor, which can, work against you a lot in this scenario. Correct. I, I do think you, you brought up a good point earlier about, um, about going to the hosting companies that you're using. That is Heroku, Amazon. Yeah. Uh, if you use Google uh, cloud services, any of those absorbing what they, what they're putting out there is very important, but what I, what I wanted to come back to that point on was that's also one of the benefits of using a company like that Yep. Um, for your hosting. The, the bigger, so the bigger the name of the company, the more of a target it is, but more likely the better resources they're going to have to fight anything to. Yep. And the better they're going to be able to, to answer to anything. And they're likely tied into all these security research searchers that find these vulnerabilities. That's what happened here is that these are two vulnerabilities that were found by researchers. Yeah. So they had already been talking to Amazon and, and Google and the big, the big powers that be to talk about how to protect. Um, the news just got out before, before they were finished with all the work they had to do. So if you've outsourced your hosting to, to your big providers like that, yeah, they likely are all over it. Um, in some cases, they may still be in the process of fixing it, but uh, you you have to believe that they've got all their resources, not all their resources, but a lot of their resources going towards protecting their clients, which is you. Well, case. I'm going to take a sidebar because of something you just said. If you look at the history of these two vulnerabilities, they have been known to Intel, Google, the Linux community. I think Red Hat is definitely a big player in this. And they've been working on this problem for a number of months, but they've kept it under wraps. And I know Linus Torvalds is, you know, out there ranting, as he always does, that, you know, he wasn't given mm -hmm. the information about everything. But mm -hmm. the truth is they saw this vulnerability across the major providers and they've been working on it behind the scenes. Now, the the Mac, the, a good example is the MacBook fix. At least one of them has already been released. It was released back in late December, and for whatever reason, 
I had not upgraded to that latest upgrade because I'd already upgraded to something earlier and I didn't want to restart my computer again. But then right. as soon as I went to Apple, they said, hey, this update is in our you know, OS 10, 13.2, whatever it is, um, number. And if you upgrade your, update your software, you'll have a level of protection against this. <clears throat> there are no reported hacks having taken place on this. And in most, most cases, the smart hackers are not going to reveal that they're doing anything. But the whole point of this is that of me saying this is that the, if the providers know about an issue, they are not going to immediately tell the world, Hey, we've got this. Like there must've been a an agreement across the parties, the universities that had a part in, um, finding this, they were pay, paid a bug bounty to find this problem. And this is exactly why bug bounty programs are around. Find right, these right. vulnerabilities before the hackers do so that we can prepare for them in a calculated, organized manner. So if you're a CTO, like I guess for us, we've been doing this a while. So our level of panic is not like I remember when the I love you um, email stuff came out, Anna Kornikova came out. It was for me my very like my first role as CTO. And I had to deal with right. the fact that these were coming through emails that I couldn't control. I didn't have a filtering system across all of our emails at that point. I did that later. But I was in kind of a panic mode of everyone in my office, non-technical, was reading about this horrible thing. Do they have it? How do we fix it? And I was in the mode of, you know, I thought it was going to be a quiet day in the office. And suddenly I'm barraded with tons of people asking me to be the expert which is what you were going back to earlier as well. <clears throat> and so what I, I guess the right after the research and the translation and distribution of information to everyone that you're responsible for, the next step is, or maybe even before that is to understand your place in this ecosystem so that you know, like what your risk levels are and what you, where your panic levels should be. Because if you're a small company, you may not be a big target. Your users could be suckered into being targets, but you kind of need to realize that you're a small fish in the bigger scheme of things, and you need to kind of follow what the bigger fish are talking about and doing. And that's when I realized, okay, I've got big providers on my side, even though you might not right. think you outsource your technology. If you have a Windows machine on your desk, you've outsourced an aspect of your technology oh, sure. to Microsoft. And they have tons of experience with this, this kind of thing. And, and most likely, there's a way more businesses than you. If you're a technical manager, there's a lot of businesses out, businesses out there without a technical manager. You're ahead of the game for the, all of them. And Microsoft has to serve all those folks that are not have no technical managers on staff. So that's where, in my, in my role as a new CTO years ago, I kind of brought down the level of panic and anxiety I had <clears throat> by really thinking about it in the terms of, hey, I've got time to figure out the best plan to take care of this. I have an advantage and that I can read most of these documents and understand a, a level that most people can't. 
I need to now bring that anxiety down and the folks around me and do that with, like you said, um, plain language, not technical language. And here are the steps we're going to follow or here are the steps we're going to do to prevent getting, having this vulnerability affect us. And right. like that is huge if you're in that role of leadership and everyone is looking at you, what do we do? Are we, do we have Spectre? Is Spectre going to harm our business? So my one question I have is, did any of your um, managers above you ask you about this this week? Not this week. So this is where being proactive is, is part of it as well. Um, because they may hear about it. I'll put it this way. If they haven't asked you, it's likely because they haven't heard for whatever reason, yeah. or they just so explicitly trust you that they're like, ah, eh, they'll take care of it. Uh, which no, no, no executive is going to do. Yeah. They're always going to want to check in with the technical team to make sure it's good. I have not been asked about it yet. This is where being proactive is part of it. You, you pull in all the information you have, you figure out where you're vulnerable, you figure out where your providers are vulnerable, what your providers are saying about that, and then you deliver that message. Yep. And um, that helps you as a as a technical executive look good, look like you're, you're on top of things, especially if you haven't been asked about it. Um, if you get asked about it in the middle of your research, yeah. it is okay to say, <laughs> I understand, uh, yes, I've heard about it. I've been looking into it. Here are the concrete things that I found out so far. Give me X amount of time, whatever, whatever you think that'll be. And, and whomever you're reporting to will want it to be shorter than whatever you say. Yeah. But give me until tomorrow. Give me until this evening, depending on the vulnerability. And I will get the answer. I will get you a better answer than what I have now. Don't feel like you have to, um, regurgitate all the information you have in that moment if you don't think you've put all the pieces together yet. And I'll attach because one... That, that, goes back, that goes back to that signaling, right? I'll attach one bit of information to that message. Don't visit any sites that are brand new to you if you can help it. Do not download any okay. updates on your own. That's the two things yep. that I always tell folks. Do not try to fix anything on your own or get caught into a trap of doing it yourself. The best thing you can do right now is nothing new out of the ordinary um, from any previous behavior. So right. that's what I usually throw in there for folks as well. Right. So that's a sound, sound pieces of advice. So we've covered research, understanding that research, like finding, you know, research from providers you trust, understanding to the level you can. There's still aspects of this, of both of these exploits that I do not understand. And I read about half of it and I'm like, I get the gist. That's good enough for now. Then the ability to translate it for non-technical folks. Um, my, the next, there's three additional items I want to cover and I'm not sure all of the ways to do it, but right now I would say up, like you have preparation <clears throat> for any vulnerability, not just these two. Up, right. updating and monitoring. So I guess the first, the one I'll ask you now is there are updates out there. How do you go about 
with your teams of saying, like telling them you need to make updates to your software servers. How are you doing that? Are you doing that? Well, it, again, it depends on where those updates are hitting, correct? Yeah. So um, in, in a lot of cases, um, the hosting provider will say, we've already made the update. Um, we've already patched this before it came out um, because we were aware. Um, if you're talking about um, a vulnerability that's on a person's physical machine, which these are as well, that... Uh, anybody with an Intel and I think even uh, all the all the fast processors, including AMD, are, are vulnerable as well. AMD those, AMD says no, by the way. I don't trust it. Uh, okay, I thought I thought that was true for one of them, but not for, for one of Meltdown Inspector, yeah. but not the other. And, and well, I'm confusing the two at the moment. Um, uh, one of them was any fast processor is vulnerable to this. And I'm pretty sure that's meltdown. Yeah. Um, so if it, if it involves individual computers, put together a plan for updating. You might already have within your organization a process for how do we apply updates to our laptops, to yeah. our desktops, to our tablets, to our phones whatever personal devices um, each employee has. You might already have a process for that. Just follow the process. You might have to accelerate the process yeah. based on based on the, the urgency. But again, it's, it's signaling. If you follow the process, people are used to process. People are used to following the, the, the dictates of how you're supposed to do something. Yep. So if you're able to follow the process, that puts everybody at ease. They're like, yep. It looks like it's under control to me, and there's there's low, a lower concern level. So that's uh that would be my suggestion there. Okay. So the monitoring, what do you do going forward? If you're already at the stage of hey, I feel like we've done everything we can do right now. What do you do? What are you going to do for the next week? So again, depending on the vulnerability, and and this is this is not even talking about necessarily specific vulnerabilities, but the next one as well. Yeah. Um, in in, I don't want to say all, a lot of the cases because that's not always true. If you if you've put down your your monitoring um, capabilities through through um, monitoring tools that check your logs, through monitoring tools that that go and and ping different parts of your of your stack um if you put all those monitoring tools in place and you've put services behind that that can detect abnormal behavior that's going to catch some of those weird vulnerabilities that's going to catch some hacking attempts and, yeah. and things like that and I, I, I'm not saying that any of that is easy or cheap. Yep. Um, it's neither. Um, that is an organization by organization decision based on how much you want to invest uh, in that monitoring to, to catch every little anomaly, which a lot are going to be false positives. And uh, that's that, a big point because both of us are – working for relatively small clients. 
I know right off the bat, none of my clients would be in the business of affording a large security provider, but there are firms out there you can outsource the security monitoring and tracking to. We haven't really talked about that. Absolutely. Because we're kind of doing this all in-house, but there are discussions amongst my network all the time about the various um, services people use for security audits and monitoring and news updates. They kind of just, they basically have a security firm at the door that is, um, you know, checking and informing them of this information. They don't have to do the research we were talking about, or they don't feel they need to because they're paying someone to do that. Right. So that is an option. And we, we we do go undergo regular security audits. We have to yeah. based on on having student information is something we have to do regularly, um, because the schools require it. Because we we require it. We again we've got that personal identifiable information um, that cannot get hacked in that that we. We do not want to get hacked into. I, I can't say can't. Yes, yeah. nothing's impossible. <laughs> yes, um, as we've seen numerous times. So <laughs> that that is we we get audits now. We we have some monitoring as well. Again, it's a it's a level of it's a it's a figuring out what degree and what I, I, what degree you want to go to for your monitoring. Yeah. Um, and, and we, we've got a level out there that we're comfortable with at the moment. And every it, these vulnerabilities that come up, even though security is a, is a very important topic to, to every technology manager, every time a vulnerability comes up, reassess everything you're doing. Yeah. Take that time to, once you've got the vulnerability under control, reassess what you're doing. Um, could if we had done something differently within our process or within our monitoring, would we have seen something different? Would we have seen something sooner? Would we have been better protected? And and in, in the case of specter and meltdown, the answer is no. Yeah. Um, because it it came out of the blue. Um, but it's still a good time. It's a great reminder to go and reassess everything you're doing. So part of that assessment, I mean, let's say, we're going to get, well, this will, the technology world will get past this issue one way or the other. It may be painful because I know there's side effects to some of these updates that take away from performance, especially uh, on database levels. But the the question I would have, how do you protect against Meltdown 2 that's going to come out in May? Like what makes you better prepared for this scenario? Because you don't know what's coming. You don't, you, right. but I, but we do know something's going to happen. So what can you, what are you going to do today that you think gives you the upper hand on preparation? It, it's everything we've been talking about. It's the monitoring. It's the audits where you're bringing in uh, uh, third party people to, to check everything you're doing. Yeah. And 99 out of 100 times, probably 999 out of 1,000 times, they're going to have suggestions. Yeah. They all they will almost never come out of an audit saying, you're perfect. Yep. They, they, these security audits come with reports that have different risk levels. 
and you react to the you react to them in priority order. You react to the highest risk risk level, and you go all the way down the list. Um, so engaging third parties is is a great way to to do the best you can. Um, staying on top of security uh, news. Yeah. Based, as we were talking, <laughs> the, the same sources you go to to find out about. Um, about vulnerabilities are usually also a great place to go to keep up on security news on, Hey, you know what? Here's a new thing you could be doing. And it's, it's cheaper, faster, better than what you were doing before. So two things that I want to add to what you just said. Um, the first thing that I always did when I was running the financial firms tech I had a list, a piece of paper, um, or at least it was a, a Word doc that I kept that simply listed out every piece of technology in our office and outside of our office um, that I was responsible for. So, mm-hmm. and it was not that big of a piece of paper because, you know, it was a small firm, but, you know, it included all the laptops and their types and the operating systems on them. It had the where we stored data, both online and offline. We kept data stored in on tapes at Iron Mountain. So right. like I knew who I could call at a phone number on that piece of paper. Who do I call if an issue with that data is up? Um, I knew the servers in our closet. And then I knew our email servers that we outsourced. And like at that point in time, we didn't have cloud infrastructure like we do today. So I had I had data local and external. I think now it would have been all external, but I had a very compartmentalized picture that I could look at to say, where is everything? What is the state of those things from a version standpoint? And what are the contact, what's the contact info or URLs that I need to go down that list and track. And I found it to be really great on the anxiety side of thinking I had this humongous problem I needed to wrangle versus I can just start going down this list and, you know, Iron Mountain is a, is storing data in tapes. That doesn't, that's not affected by the bug unless the software backed up to it has the bug on it. But it was one of those things of I could go down this list and look on this one page and say, okay, I have the contact information and knowledge of where everything is. And so I kept that up to date. Every time an, an issue came out, I would say, is this list still up to date? So that was my, mm-hmm. my crib sheet of what do I need to be looking at um, immediately? So that was one level of, and, of preparation. Yep. And before you jump into your second one, yeah. having that technical inventory allows you to delegate a lot easier. As oh, well. yes. oh, yes. So if, if, if you don't have that inventory, you're sitting there going off the top of your head. And once you think of something, you're going to dive in and try to solve it without delegating. Yep. If you've got the inventory in place, you can, you can start handing off pieces of that inventory to the rest of the staff. And they can go and report back to you with what they they found about those pieces. Yep, it, it makes it makes your response faster. It makes your response better, um, and it, it reduces the the single burden. Uh, it reduces the hero factor, having to be the single person to solve it all. Yep. The additional item was um, along lines of monitoring, but in a pull or in a push fashion. So. I subscribe to I, a lot of the code I write in is Ruby, 
And, you know, probably three or four times a year, they send out vulnerability or bug reports through a service that all it does is just, hey, as soon as the Ruby or Rails team comes up with a bug that needs to be fixed, they release the information in the standard ways that they're done these days. And I receive an email about it. And I usually don't understand much about the email, but those emails come to me and I feel I feel like they come to me ahead of the curve of the news getting around otherwise. So I will definitely put these in the show notes and then I'll see if I can find some of the others that I get um, just from the standpoint of I would like to know what the um, like I would like to receive an email from some of these technology providers based on security before the Chicago Tribune's um, melt, like kind of watered down report of it hits my inbox so that I kind of, I can say, oh, no, here's a cute meltdown logo. And I actually have more context with it versus what kind of I saw this week. And this doesn't really affect Ruby. So I didn't get that update, but I do think being on the receiving end of a service that pushes out that info is definitely how to be ahead of the game type of preparation. Right. right. And, and that I'm going to take a, a, a side trip here for a second that gets to something we didn't even discuss. Um, but I think we kind of glossed over and, and, and talked about, but not directly. And that is keeping everything up to date. Yeah. Right. So uh, if you're writing in Ruby, you're you're probably on the latest version of Ruby you can be on, yeah. um, especially from security patch standpoint. Yep. Now you might be a couple releases behind based on features, but I guarantee you're not a couple releases hot behind based on security. Yeah. Um, so so staying on top of all your releases is is also important, and and it is something that is not usually part of the development plan. Yep. When it, it certainly gets in the way of having to getting your features built is dedicating team time to upgrading to the latest release of the language, the platform, whatever it is you're, you're using. Well, that's, um, it's funny you mentioned that because my team, my teams make fun of me sometimes, especially in rails because I, on a weekly basis, update all the gems like i i lock in version numbers in the gem file which is kind of un uncommon people tend to allow for small patches to happen automatically and i go through religiously this process of i check and see how many of my packages software packages are out of date on particular code and i update them or test them for updating on a weekly basis, but there's only a couple, like that's the whole trick. <clears throat> I don't want to do the annual update of everything. Right. I want to get, if I get that little 0. 0.1, 0.0.1 level patch, I want to test it and see, does it affect anything at just this isolated level? <clears throat> because that is really not that painful. It's a, it's a side project for an hour maybe, or it could be a minute. But it's those little incremental updates are way less painful than, hey, let's shut down everything and see what's wrong when we have to do this one security update that just came out of the blue and forces three other gems to update. So that's the same with node packages, any type of software package type of deal. 
And that's, that's just my philosophy. It's not one that yeah. ne- necessarily everyone can do, but it's one that I follow with my teams and it causes some chuckles because like, Oh, there's Randy's <laughs> pull request for updating gems again. But I'm like, yeah, right. this is easier than the long, the longer way. And I've had to take over code bases and done huge updates and that's, it's painful. It can be really painful. So I, I totally yeah. agree with you on that one. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, we've hit the 40 minute mark. Um, anything else you'd want to add to this pretty, you know, top, like today's rip from the headlines topic of meltdown. Oh, yeah, for Spectre. sure. For sure. No, I don't, I don't have anything to add to it. I, I, I think we've hit everything um, we, we, we could talk about. I think you and I have some, some work to do yeah. um, after we finish here to go, uh, to go make the, the show notes as um, voluminous as we can yep. um, so that people have a resource to go through. Um, I'm no, going to find a Spectre plush toy. Because yeah, I, just... you know what I, I I had written down in my notes, <laughs> I have I've literally written down in my notes, buy meltdown Spectre bobbleheads for Randy's birthday. Awesome! So. I'm looking. For... <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, we will talk next week. Um, yep, great show. And we will put as many references to everything we talked about in the show notes for anyone listening. Um, this is a big topic. This is something that we were going to talk about eventually. It just happened to be, this is a great week to talk about it because this is right in our face today. But, um, all right. Talk to you next week. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the CTO think podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share a link to the podcast with your friends. Show music is by is dumpster dive by Mark Wallach licensed by premiumbeat.com. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at ctothink.com. For questions, comments, or things you'd like to hear on future shows, please email us at advice at ctothink.com. For notifications of future episodes, please sign up to the CTO Think newsletter also on our website. We'll keep talking next week.